This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. I'm going to own what I said because I said it, but pretty much everyone I spoke to in footy said, oh, yeah, I I agree with you, but I couldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm a man. I'm not going to say that. These are from AFL headquarters to clubs to the footy club itself. And, And I know that senior leaders at the club tried to talk to Seb about staying. It was probably one of the five or six saddest days of my life, but it was also incredibly full of love and thanks and shock and understanding and what an amazing bunch of people come to my bookshop. Now, who would you have least liked to swap places with last week? The Cape Cod lobster diver Michael Packard, who was swallowed by a humpback whale last Friday while diving and then moments later was spat out. (laughs) Caro, this is an amazing story. I absolutely loved it. It was the greatest piece of escapism I have read in a long time. It's the latest Phryne escapade. And I thought you were a public intellectual. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 176 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Here we are, Corey, for the first time since April, back in oh, the studio together. Carol, wonderful? Uh, Jane and I uh, have our, our sunglasses on because there's so much radiance just emanating from you being here. It's like, Janie, it's like Christ has risen. Oh, well, I wouldn't go that far. But there are some beautiful hellebores and old hydrangeas. Well, Miss Jane's no longer nicking from the rest of the neighbourhood now. She has a big, new, beautiful garden. Caro, before we go on, I wanted to present you with something. This is from our wonderful listeners, Wade and Susie Kingsley, who have been huge fans of our podcast for a long time. I was delivering books to them during lockdown and Wade very kindly raced out to the gate as I texted him to say I'm here. And he said, I have a gift for you and Caro. Now, you can open this You did air. mention this the other day. And well, I wanted, you to do, I wanted you to open it so the potties could see you open it. <laughs> well, I, that really won't work. But thank you. I'm, I think I'm this touched. Is to share, this is shared booty, by the way. But you can explain to potties what's in it. I was sort of hoping that um, it was going to be some of that shortbread you claimed to have made me the other day, but never got around to giving claim, me. I didn't claim it. I did make it. And you weren't where you were going to be when I dropped off. I just want to say, here's the, here's the little note. We love listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger wow. every week. There it's a great thoughts. way for us to share time together. Thank you to you both for sharing your lives with us, Wade and Suze Kinsley. P.S. Hi, Miss Jane. There you go, Miss Jane. You get a mention in Dispatches. Why Bowie Matters by Will Brooker. Yeah, good book. You can have that one. It's a book about David Bowie. Yes, you can have that one. I want the little um, gift that's at the very bottom. What, the bottle of red wine? (laughs) (laughs) A bottle of Penfolds. Why have they given us this is so kind of Because I just read the note because they love what we do. I I realise that. And beautiful socks. Why is there a serviette? Oh. Oh, business ideas. Okay, some of the greatest ideas have been created on the back of napkins, just like this one. Oh, it's like a business. There you go. Wow. Wow. Creative Champions course. Gee, this is, oh, it's more about David Bowie. They're obviously big David Bowie fans. Yes, and also I think their business too is part of this as well. But who cares? Look at those socks. They're in Richmond colours. Well, no, they're David Bowie socks. Oh, yeah, they've got Bowie written on them. They're in yellow and oh, black. No. Or does it say, yeah, oh, look, this is extraordinary. Thank you, Corrie. Well, thank, thank you, you, thank you, Wade and Suze, for doing that. Now, I just want to stress that our potties out there, please don't feel you have to send us gifts to get a mention. I just wanted to say that. Now, Corrie, there's been a lot going on this week um, in your life, obviously, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But we should mention Kylie Narak, who's got in touch via Insta, saying she's a new Red Energy customer right here. And I've already made the lemon polenta biscuits from the Emily Scott food book, Thanks at My Bookshop by CP. Now, that, that's a wonderful cookbook, That's the it? Cornwall Sea and Shore that we've oh, mentioned yes. a lot. And you Which you received. gave me for my birthday. I did. And and the aforementioned shortbreads, the recipe was actually out of that one. I think probably next to the lemon polenta biscuits that Kylie made in the book. But the shortbreads were lovely. I had a bit of trouble with the measurement. I had to add a bit more butter. That would be my tip on that one. But, Caro, I do have shortbreads for you at home. So next time I see you, I will give you your little parcel. That's so kind, Corrie. And um, 
Lisa, Food Lisa, loves your 30 veggie challenge and she thinks she'll join you. We have a friend, Christy Marie Foxfire Insta, who's in quarantine right now and saying that the podcast is just the tonic she needs. Yes, you do need a bit of a distraction in quarantine. I know that only too well. Lisa Nichols has had a crack at me for buying a puppy or telling people to buy a puppy when there are so many police rescue, rescue dogs, rescue a puppy, or there are so many dogs. She's talking about all the tragic things that happened to dogs. Look, I completely understand that. I suppose what I should have said is get yourselves a puppy or a dog if you love animals and you love dogs. I don't really care how you do it. We did it via a breeder. I'm really sorry, um, Lisa. I have absolutely full understanding of what so many beautiful dogs go through in Australia every year. But um, And I take it on board. But I'm not giving back my little queenie for anything. Sorry. No, well, I, we love Queenie, but I think that's a fair point. I must say, Lisa, I have looked at the, uh, the I was going to say lost property, but it's sadder than that, the lost dogs home and so on for puppies over the past year. And a lot of them are the, of the Pitbull Rottweiler variety. And I'm just, look, I have no bias here, except it's not for me, that kind of a puppy. I'm sorry. And I am being a little bit particular because this will be a 12 or 14 or in the case of Bearsy, a 17 and a half year relationship. And But I, keep, I do keep looking at the lost dogs home and I have friends who actually send me when they think there's a variety of a dog that I would like. So I have to be very mindful of the fact that I have four grandchildren and a puppy has to grow into our family and I have to be very careful of the breed. So in, in defence of my puppy who hasn't arrived yet. That's what <laughs> well, I, that's, Lisa that's thinks I've been irresponsible. She thinks it's okay to buy a puppy in your 20s, but as you get older, you've got to be more responsible. I just, I don't know about that. I, I'm, I look, I understand that there is, there is a huge problem and there are some wonder, look, wonderful rescue dogs around. And we looked at going through the guide dog program. We have friends who've taken on guide, you know, failed guide dogs and taken them on as younger dogs or even, you know, one-year-olds. But we, you know, we wanted a puppy. Well, Carol, I, I can't, Le- I can't be sorry about that. Lisa sorry, says, Lisa. Lisa says that she admires your work so much, but not this time. So you're getting an arrow, which is in reference to your television, your Monday I think night, I might, I think, arrows arrow. I think there might be a few of those yeah. <laughs> today. Yes. Well, it hasn't been a good week for you in arrows, and in a little while we will be talking about your comments on on Monday night's footy classified regarding Tim Membry and Seb Ross of St Kilda. So stay tuned for that, everybody. But Corrie, first of all, we need to talk about my bookshop. As a bricks and mortar bookshop, you are closing. My bookshop lives on. It's been a wonderful brand. It's been going for well over a decade now, but you just, you've decided to close the shop. Um, you put the announcement, I suppose, out of you and I, you've told me it's been coming for a couple of weeks now, but you announced it on Saturday. I'm sure there was a huge response and people are pretty devastated because it's become such a heart of the community of that wonderful Hawksburn village. Tell me why you've done it and what is your next move? Well, thank you for those kind words about being it being the heart of the community. And honestly, if I had had my, um, if I'd had my choice, I would not have announced this the day after Melburnians came out of lockdown because as we know, everybody's been feeling a bit fragile, but our hand was forced because the real estate agents were putting the Felice sign up on the building. And so we wanted to tell our our gang before they sort of saw it. So Instagram and our newsletter and Facebook seemed to be the most obvious way on Saturday morning. And I worked on Saturday and it was one of the most remarkable days of my life, Caro, as I told you. Um, it was probably one of the five or six saddest days of my life, but it was also incredibly full of love and thanks and shock and understanding and what an amazing bunch of people come to my bookshop. And indeed, I'm sure bookworms who go to lots of indie bookstores and support them would feel the same way if they were losing their local bookshop. So why have you decided at this time then to shut the shop? Um, Debt. Pure and simple. <laughs> what, can <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Look, Caro, uh, retail in Victoria was a bit flat before, even before the lockdowns last year. We had a pretty flat 
Christmas, not bad, 2019. wasn't one of our better years. But we came into 2020 filled with hope. We'd added on. We then, at that stage, I think had we'd increased it to seven book clubs. I had about 10 events booked for the first four months of the year at the shop. Things were pumping. Things were looking good. And then, of course, we went into our first national lockdown. And um, we accrued debt because uh, we didn't receive any rent relief because we kept trading, but uh, we were about 20, 22% down in our takings, not the magic 30%. And if I had my time again, I possibly would have put everybody on JobKeeper, including myself, closed the door and gone for the rent relief working with the owners of the building. Um, However, I was very concerned that Amazon or Booktopia or one of these um, big multinationals would grab our audience share. So we just kept trading, as you know, driving books around Melbourne for months, it seemed like. And we carried debts with the rent. Now, our landlord was terrific and said, look, just, you know, pay it off. But we've been very mindful of this. We received no rent relief at that point from the landlord. And it's just been suffocating. And um, combined with at the start of this year, still a very flat retail environment. I don't think people – it's almost like there's a dual economy in in Australia at the moment, Caro, in retail. The rest of the country seems to be booming. Here in Melbourne, people quite rightly have been very cautious with their spending money, what we'd call discretionary, discretionary spending. People were so nervous last year, even if they were able to keep their jobs, there was – uh, just the grassroots, um, you wish you were a journo sometimes, the grassroots conversations over the counter over the past few months have been, what if there's another lockdown? And I think people have been so nervous about this. They've held money tight and they perhaps haven't bought, they've bought one new dress for winter instead of three. Again, I'm quoting my dear friend at Who Fished Down the Road, the boutique, or they'll buy two books instead of five or whatever it may be. So I think across the board, Melbourne retail has suffered and we've been a victim of this. But look, I can't blame anybody for it. It's just the way it is. Lockdowns have happened. You and I have spoken ad nauseum about the value of a good, of a lockdown. And um, I just ha- we just had to just get off the debt train. So we can't go on with this insecure environment, not knowing that the back half of 2021, there will be no more lockdowns and things will be great. And no sooner did we make our decision, Caro, than we had another lockdown in Melbourne. <laughs> yep. Yep. So-, so it kind of, it made us feel in a bizarre sort of way. So a what little, happens when you close when you close your shop? I mean, do you have a, a big sale? Do you um, move the books into another realm? Have you decided what you're going to do next? I mean, I know you've got a lot of ideas, and everyone's dying to hear what the next move is. But my bookshop will continue. You'll still. You've got wonderful events you've been telling me, me about booked until the end of the year, for example. Yeah. Well. Um the the whole look the whole prem, first of all in terms of the stock uh, the way bookshops work is we get lower margins than normal retailers because we have a capacity between three or four months and a year to send a book back so if for example um, a new book comes on board uh, it might be something like uh, the Bowie book there in front of you let's say that's published in March 2020 you have until March 2021 to send it back the minute you're over that publishing date that stock is then your firm stock so what a good bookshop will do is make sure that your backlist as it were you know the old titles you keep that pretty lean and like obviously you'll have war and peace and that sort of thing but there's a whole lot of other titles you won't have you order them in for customers the front part of the shop which is all the new releases you can you can send that back and you get a credit which goes on to your next month's spend with your publishers now, obviously, what will happen is we will have a lot of stock to send back. So that will be a time-consuming and, um, you know, laborious process, but that's what we'll do. With the backlist and so on, um, there will be some sort of sale. I'm just not entirely sure whether I'm prepared to have it in the shop or whether we might just, I don't know, go to a market or whatever. But mybookshop.com.au is will continue and it will be a slightly different site um, it will be, um, as, our, as my friend, our friend, Jeff Slattery said the other day, you will curate, you will advise, 
and you will act as a conduit. So we'll curate great books, we'll find good books, we'll advise people what they should be reading or buying, and then we will be a conduit. Hopefully, we can form a relationship with another Melbourne indie bookstore who we love, and we haven't decided who that be will be yet. Um, but but there are so many of them. I'm sure somebody. I, Carol, there are twelve thousand people in the My Bookshop community on our database. That is valuable. And they mean the world to me. And I'm not going to give them up and I'm not going to abandon them because my relationship with the book hasn't ended. And will you still host book clubs? Yeah, book clubs are still the go. In fact, in semester two, which starts in July, we're introducing a, a seventh, sixth, sixth group. Some of them are on Zoom, some of them are in person. And our events, as you said, will continue. Some people have been talking to me about could I interview an author on behalf of their organisation, their law firm or whoever that might be for a conference or whatever, happy to be, you know, the interviewer for hire. That's really happy to do that. And then we're also, I'm also looking at another idea which I've discussed with you about um, my love of words and writing and how to just help people do it better and sort of channeling Don Watson, you know, getting weasel words out of people's language, whether it be (laughs) social media, speeches, even podcast appearances, a lot of people uh, have trouble, me right now, have trouble articulating and getting and cutting through, cutting through either to make profit or cutting through to uh, impart a message, cutting through to assist somebody else uh, or promote an event. So we'll just help them do that. So there's a lot on, but at the moment it's all about my community and my bookshop's gang and I love them to bits and I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank everybody for coming in and I'm sure you will in the next few weeks before we close um, to say thank you and buy books and just to talk and chat because um, boy am I going to miss you in my day. So I don't I don't really like to compare you to Nathan Buckley, but I looked at Nathan Buckley <laughs> we've yesterday. Been, we've been around doing the same thing around the same time. Well, I looked at yeah, Nathan Buckley the other day, you know, when he coached his last game and it was a, it was a triumphant, you know, you, you wouldn't want to go out any other way. Well, you'd be nice to go out winning a premiership, but it was a great way to go out. And he looked to me, he talked about blue skies ahead and clear air and time to enjoy the blue skies. He looked five, ten years younger. After that game against Melbourne. Oh, my Melbourne, God, I hope I walking will. Around, walking around the <laughs> SCG. Well, now that you've made the decision, this is my point, has, is there a bit of a weight lifted off your shoulders? Yeah, look, I have to say to people, particularly in this small business zone, particularly in Melbourne, and particularly if you're grappling with these decisions, they're not easy ones to make. Carol, you know this has been going on for months for me. When we came out of a flat Christmas last year and February, March, it just the year didn't start kicking. We had that brief lockdown in February, which just sent everybody into a tears. And then March, we couldn't get a kick. And we've been thinking about this for a long time. And the decision making is the most difficult thing, but you have to go through it. And you have to know the physical and emotional effects of this. And you have to be aware because it can hit you like a ton of bricks, not being able to sleep at night, you forget about exercise, you become obsessed by doing your finances. At one stage, Carol, I was looking at the bank account three or four times a day, not healthy. You know, really, you have just got to know that you're going through a process. And when you do make the decision, as I said to you, the night I made the decision about a month ago, I had a really good night's sleep. Yep. Yep. And I think that's such a common experience. And mental health is all important here. A lot of people have said on Instagram and friends have said and so on, oh, you know, be able to spend more time with your family. My family is number one in my world. There's no doubt about that. But I'm still ready to work and still ready to, you know, bring writers and readers together. And I'm still committed to that cause, this podcast, everything that I do. But there is something very important about what impact is this having on my family? And when we had the getaway with Coco and Sheka, the three girls, and Max, baby Max, to Kyneton, I realised how worried my two girls are about my health. They're actually, you know, they're actually worried about it. And Francesca rang me a couple of nights ago, you know, a friend of hers, mother has taken seriously ill and Francesca was devastated. And I know the impact of this. So it's not that I'm doing it for them, I'm doing it for me, but it's such a factor, you know, mental health, physical health. No business is kind of worth that. 
but this business is important. So there we go. That's it. Well, it has been, you know, from a personal point of view, that shop has just been one of the great joys of my last decade, more than, well, well over a decade now. It's been a beautiful shop and it will be a beautiful shop right until the end. And your next chapter is going to be just as exciting, Corrie, in a different way. And we all look forward to seeing Well, that's lovely, Carol. Where it goes. And, and this is just a lovely opportunity to thank you and in your role as a regular visitor to the shop when we've had our football nights, our discussion, our panel nights and everything, you've always gone, yep, no problem, as has your husband, Brendan. Remember the terrific interview night he did with Nikki Sava. When I needed um, to use a bathroom. <laughs> I was stuck in Hawksby. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. We've had a, we've Putting had a lot. Putting my hands of, in the lolly jar. Oh my god! And and Malcolm Fraser, you know, and coming twice and Coco saying calling Tammy Tammy Fraser, and I had to whisper to her, call her Mrs. Fraser, because because Coco had no idea who Tammy was. <laughs> anyway, we've had lots of amazing nights, but I did want to thank you and all of the people over the years who have appeared from Malcolm Fraser through to Patrick McCacky through to David Marr, Steve Brax, your husband, Brendan, Mike Sheehan. I mean, the list goes on. Barry Jones, Julian Burnside. It's been incredible. And um, a big, huge thank you to all of them. So, Caro, from my life to your life, uh, this week you caused a bit of a stir, as I said earlier, on Footy Classified when you were discussing Tim Membry and Seb Ross's decision to step aside from playing for a week because of their uh, parenting commitments. Well, particularly Seb Ross, not so much Membry. I I did say that I had some sympathy with Membry, um, a baby being due. I think it's their first baby. So so what's the Seb Ross issue? What's the difference between the two? These are two footballers who chose after they played the Sydney Swans a few weeks ago um, they were asked by their club. The next game was probably going to be in Cairns when they were going to be playing Adelaide. It was probably St Kilda's last chance, really, to play for a spot in the eight. And the team was well. They weren't sure where they were going to go, but they were probably going to. They were trying to get the game played in Cairns, where it had been scheduled. And in the end, that's what did unfold. The, um, the Queensland government allowed the game to go ahead. Um, both Ross and Membry, two leaders at the club said they wanted to go home to be with their families and they didn't they didn't want to wait around for that week had they waited around for a week they would have come back to melbourne crack of dawn sunday morning just gone and st kilda now has a buyer so a couple of weeks off I was really surprised at the decision by Seb Ross. I've got to be honest um his wife gave birth to twins at the start of may i think the 7th of may and um, he missed a game when they were born. Absolutely no one raised an eyebrow, no questions asked. St Kilda have had a lot of this go on in the last year or so. They've had they've lost a lot of games to top players through mental health and childbirth issues, childbirth concerns. And I was just surprised personally that Seb Ross would, you know, I wondered whether there was a, a medical problem with the twins and I established there wasn't. And, you know, the, I suppose... My feelings were reflected by people across the AFL. Now, I'm not. I'm going to own what I said because I said it, but pretty much everyone I spoke to in footy said, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I'm, I couldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm a man. I'm not going to say that. These are from AFL headquarters to clubs to the footy club itself. And, and I know that senior leaders at the club tried to talk to Seb about staying. As it turns out, St Kilda lost the game by less than a kick to the Crows. Their finals chances are now over. And there's, there is a level, a significant level of disappointment within that club to the decision, particularly by Seb. I mean, um, Tim Membry's wife was due to give birth, I think, next week. He was just nervous about maybe not being able to get out of Cairns on time if the baby did come early. So he chose to come home. And I think this is a wider issue for football clubs now. Now, I understand the imp- the impact of mental health on all young Australians and football clubs now often and frequently announce that players are taking time out to deal with mental health issues but i think in this case you know you're getting paid full whack 6 700,000 dollars or 500,000 dollars and it's not about pro- maybe not even about 500 say it's not even about the money it's about the fact that very few workplaces could you say um my partner's sort of struggling a bit with the twins um, that were born a month or five weeks ago, a month ago, and I want to go home and be with her. Now, I just – and then and then your boss says to you, look, 
we really need you this week. This is a really important campaign. And the person says, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I've got to go home. And I spoke to people at across the club, across the AFL, people who know Seb, and you know, obviously if the Twins had had a major health issue, it would have been different. Um, I was just really surprised, Corey, and I and I said that, and, I, and my comments reflect, as I say, people at the footy club, and I gather, um, you know, a couple of blokes on SEN Breakfast in Gary and Tim, or Gary particularly, Gary Lyon has had a serious go at me on Tuesday morning. Tim Watson is Seb Ross's uncle, so he's obviously got a very personal, and Tim Watson does not like me because he was an Essendon apparatchik, you know, at the time of the drug scandal and supported the club completely and James Heard, or certainly publicly did anyway, and didn't agree with a lot of what I said and was very angry. And he's very angry and bitter about what happened. And I understand that. I would be too if my son was captain and what happened to him happened to Job. But I I will not apologise for basically saying what I think is a perfectly reasonable conversation. Okay, so in social media, and I think Gary Lyon, who is a friend of yours and a colleague, a media colleague of yours. He's not a friend of mine. Well, you know what I mean. You know, yeah, we, had, you're, yeah, we've you've, got a relationship. Yeah, we get on well. You've, had, you've known each other for a long time. You're, you're colleague friends, if you like. You've worked together before and so on. But uh, on social media, and I know you don't read social media, uh, which is probably a very healthy thing. We're not surely but, we're not going to be answering to social pe- media. No, no, no. But people have had a crack and may at you for uh, what they would say is perhaps a double standard or hip, hip and hypocrisy in that you left your job and your responsibilities to go to Amsterdam to be with your pregnant daughter. Yeah, well, that was that was a medical serious medical situation. And I'm not comparing medical situations, Corrie, but just because I've had something going on in my life and am I not allowed to have an opinion on a major footy issue for the St Kilda Football Club where they have just had so many issues like this and in the view of, you know, people at the footy club, you know, things are still... I even would question whether Seb Ross will be at the club next year. I mean, you know, this this is a... I think a legitimate story and a legitimate talking point. So we look at the age of footballers, Caro, and they when they come to the to the peak of their careers, often they'll be in a partnership and many of them become fathers. Should there be some sort of blanket policy, do you think, or is it a case-by-case no, situation or a club-by-club situation? How do we handle what is now that now that we acknowledge that, thank God, we've evolved, that now we acknowledge that fathers are just as important at this time as mothers and um, men play football at, at this level, how, how do we kind of resolve this? Well, I think, you know, in every workplace – People become parents and continue to go to work. And if there are issues at home, they take time off work. My point is, this was a really, look, whether or not he was completely justified in doing what he did, this was a a terrible time for the football club. And had Membry and Ross been playing, you know, I think they would have won the game. And, you know, that, that is the view of most people in footy. So take that aside because if there's a medical emergency, of course they couldn't be there and it's only a game. But my point is... There was a blurred line here in the minds of people in footy, people in the AFL, people in St Kilda, that perhaps it would have been if only um, if only Seb had decided to stay and play. Now, you know, we've, we've been at home with young babies and struggled and wished our husbands were around more. We've all had these situations. And I think that when you sign on to play AFL footy, I think you've got to think pretty carefully about the contracts you're signing and what you're signing up to do. And you're, I mean, remember last year there were issues with Trent Cotchin and his wife, Brooke, and all the stuff that went on in the hub. And Trent Cotchin considered leaving, but, you know, he and he was convinced to stay. And I think in the end, even his wife would have convinced him to stay because she knows that that is, you know, that is their livelihood. That's what they do. And I think, look, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. And I know people are going to condemn me for it. But I also think that most people are deep down thinking what I'm thinking. I'm sorry, but I really do. Yeah, well, I absolutely well, uh, do. No, I take that on board. And I also think that when there is a workplace issue uh, in this very particular peculiar circumstance, which is called AFL football, 
you as a journalist have every right to 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 raise it for discussion, and that's what's happening. So, and I, I think the hypocrisy accusation is just sorry, but I think that's really a little bit rich. And I all and I also think that, well, that um, don't shoot the messenger. That wasn't my comment. no no no. <laughs> I understand. I'm, that. Qu- I'm quoting the phone in front of me that Twitter's gone gone off, as they say. And you know, when we're <clears> talking <throat> about hypocrisy, I think you know, Gary should um, not live in glass houses. Righto. Anyway, I need a drink. We do. And we're going to talk to Miles, luckily. So it's time for the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. You can visit yourselves, princewinestore.com.au. Miles Thompson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, I said, Miles, we both need a drink, Corey and I. um, Both had our issues this week. And... It's time to celebrate yet again gin. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we always it's seem one to of my go, favorite, all, I love gin. I'm, I'm all road, well, you're like Kara, all roads seem to lead to gin. <laughs> I think we should just call yeah. this segment the gin cabinet. No, but there is a reason yeah. because it's um, World Gin Day. Is that right? Or I, I think Saturday was World Gin Day. Yep. I think it's just gone. Oh, so well. Good timing. Good timing. We can celebrate it again this Saturday if we like. Absolutely. I'm sure you've got some wonderful recommendations and we want to hear them, Miles. Yeah, I've I've got a couple. I've got a couple of more more interesting sort of ones to talk about. Now, Four Pillars, you know, everyone's probably really familiar with. They make great gin, um, but they've just recently come out with an olive leaf gin, they call it, and they've teamed up with um, Cobram Estate and they actually make the gin. It's their basic gin and then they make it with Cobram olive oil, the actual olive oil. Uh, with olive leaf um, and actual olives as well. Um, is, is there no end to Mr. Cobram's talents? I ask you. <laughs> I mean, they're great olive oils, right? They are. Um, they they are. are. And uh, this gin is just, I, I love it because it's so savoury. Um, it has that, yeah, all that like olive leaf and that savoury kind of herbal edge that you get from from the from the olives and the olive leaf. Um it's just really fantastic. I was, I think it's the best out of the range for me as, as far as Four Pillars is concerned. I, I thought it was great. And they were going to do it as a, uh, you know, as a, I guess like a seasonal sort of thing or like, you know, like a one-off, like their Shiraz gin. But they've uh, decided to put it into their range, I understand, as a permanent uh, selection, which is great. Yeah, I agree with you, Miles. And I particularly love it with that dirty tonic. What? I was going to say the dirty tonic. It's just it's screaming dirty martini and a dirty tonic. It's just screams for it. It's just perfect. No, and the bottle's so attractive, Corey, with the green label. I mean, I know it's not about the labelling, but it really is a lovely addition to your cocktail cabinet. A beautiful label, Cara, that's come my way, and this is a non-alcoholic gin. Is Banks Botanicals. Have you come across this yet, Miles? Oh. It's a new product. It's I, just been I don't released. Know it. It's just been released onto the marketplace. Uh, I've been yeah. I've been doing a bit of stuff with them in terms of their website copy, but their label is super. So I think we might do some non-alcoholic gins in a few weeks, Caro. Maybe in dry July. Yes, that's a good idea because that's a good um, idea. I'm seriously considering dry July at the moment. Miles, any other <laughs> gins you want to uh, introduce us to today? Yeah, the, the other one that, that I just tried recently too and I just absolutely sort of fell in love is, is Animus Distillery, which is uh, lo- very local, so Macedon Ranges, you know, Four Pillars of the Yarra Valley. Um, and they have a Davidsonia Plum Gin, uh, which is like the traditional slow gin, but it's made with the Davidsonia Plum, which if people don't know, it's a, a native plum to Australia. Never, um, never heard a lovely of it. Sort of no, yeah, I think it's a mainly a Queensland species. I had to do a little research there, um, but it has a lovely sweet and tart element to it. So it it is sweet. If you've ever had slow gin, it has that lovely sweetness. But it's it's known for having a really particularly sort of tart, sort of acidic bite to the plum, and it just works perfectly just to counter that sort of sweetness. But this stuff is so delicious. Um, you could have it on its own. Or a little bit of soda and a squeeze of lime would be fantastic. Is it a little bit unhealthy that at nine thirty in the morning I'm salivating? <laughs> and you could have either of those two, couldn't you? So, of course, um, slow meaning 
S-L-O-E, which uh, for years and Correct. years I thought it was something you just drank slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that sounds absolutely beautiful. So the Davidsonia Plum Gin and the Olive Leaf Gin from Four Pillars, can you give us yeah. a, an idea of what we're going to be paying for this, Miles? Yeah, look, the, the Four Pillars I think comes in about 95 and the Animus Davidsonia comes in about 97 So they're not, they're not super cheap, but they're just they're really fantastic. And, you know, they're all local too, which is great. So it's always nice to support the, the local companies as well. Um, but really just top, top quality stuff. They're really awesome. There are so many fabulous gin distilleries popping up around Victoria and they're a great place to visit and great place to buy presents and, as I said, a great addition to your cocktail cabinet. So that's the Four Pillars Olive Leaf Gin, Corrie, and the Davidsonia Plum Gin. And what's the name of the distillery at Massenden? Animus. They're called A-N-I-M-U-S, Animus Distillery. Animus. Miles, thank you very much. And remember, everyone, use the promo code MEWS at checkout online to receive a listener discount. You'll find the links to all Miles's recommendations in our show notes. That's a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And remember, when you do visit, visit princewinestore.com.au. Tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. And now, Corrie, for Red Energy, it's your turn to have a crush. Caro, my crush is the Queen. Not just because it was her birthday. Well, it wasn't her birthday on the weekend. Her birthday's we in April. Yeah, as we, we know, know that. I know she is, but uh, she's my crush because at the age of ninety-five, only a few weeks after she's lost her beloved husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, she travels to Cornwall in a pretty floral frock. She rocks up to the G seven meeting. She's cracking gags at the photo opportunity with the seven leaders. She's chatting to them all with a bright smile on her face. The gag, as she said, are you supposed to be enjoying yourselves, apparently brought the house down. She then hosted a reception with Camilla and Charles and William and Kate, but she was the star attraction. And then the next day, she hosts an afternoon tea at Windsor for the Bidens. Is there just no end to her sense of duty and her energy? Well, it doesn't sound like the most punishing schedule. It sounds quite fun, but I understand. 95, Carol. She does it with good grace. Also, You're absolutely can I, right. Can I just, I was thinking about her great-great-grandmother, great-great? Yeah, I think it's two greats, Queen Victoria, who after Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria wasn't seen for something like 12 years. Well, <laughs> again... Albert was very young. I just want to add too. Could the <laughs> royal? Was a, I, I hope this isn't. I hope this isn't mean. But I do wish the royal family would invest in a good brassiere manufacturer or lingerie fitting expert. Camilla and the Queen. They'd both need a new bra. Just saying. Gee, well, it, it, I suppose that's a crush. It's a crush with a sting. Okay, well, no, it, it would, wouldn't it be lovely to be in Cornwall at the moment and doing all that stuff that we did not so long ago anyway, Corrie? And, um, and I do thank you again for that wonderful book that you gave yeah, me. Yeah, see and sure. Before I move on to BSF. BSF, Caro, book, screen, food, and we'll, you have a book. Yeah, we've got a special guest about to join us in BSF. But now don't get cross, but I need a good light read at the moment and light reads are what I am doing. I and hope you're not about to say the book you're about to say. I am. Oh. Death in Dalesford, the latest Phryne Fisher. I absolutely loved it. It was the greatest piece of escapism I have read in a long time. It's the latest Phryne escapade. We're in the late 20s, I think. And, and I thought you were a public intellectual. Kerry Greenwood's books, I've always, look, I've, I haven't read a Phryne Fisher book for a long time. I used to read them and quite enjoy them. I love her slightly fantastic glimpses into Melbourne and Victorian life back in the late 20s, early 30s. I mean, I think it's fascinating some of the stuff she writes about and particularly Melbourne society back then. We find Phryne in the arms of her Chinese lover and he has a... Um, He's basically been invited to go to Dalesford, well, to Hepburn Springs, in fact, and a lot of detail about how different the two towns are. Miss Jane, you would love this. You, This is right up your alley. Because Why is it up Jane's alley? Because Jane, Jane likes highbrow stuff too. Jane loves rural Victoria, and it's a real glimpse into what these country towns were like before... Well, I mean, it's there all was come some... out of Kerry Greenwood's imagination, Caro. Well, her, her, 
Get Jane, hand up. I, I just need to say that while we're talking about Dalesford, we need to just mention that the entire suburb, Trempton, completely smashed by storms. I know. So it's if you're very listening sad. and thinking, oh, it's all fun and games in Dalesford. I yes, I agree. I love a trashy read, but heart's going out to anyone. Me and too. of course, and we Victoria, were there so. the other day. Um, Jane is in Trempton, the most beautiful, devastating. beautiful little town. Sorry, Carrie. Well, at the, time of, at the time of Phryne's, um invitation to go up and Basically, she's been asked by a former war hero, a captain, who has set up a basically a therapy centre for um, battle-scarred soldiers suffering from shell shock, as it used to be known, post-traumatic stress disorder, at Hepburn Springs. And there are Valerian baths and they're about to build a lake. Of course, we know what happened when they built that lake because it's a very famous lake now. And then Ulla Wolf Tuskercat walks in in Chapter 12 and sets up the lake house. That will know because we we're still in the late 20s. But anyway, look, it's a great read. There's a serial killer on the loose and um, it all seems to revolve around this beautiful publican who works at the Temperance Hotel a lot of stuff about, you know, alcohol laws in those days. There's a there's a two stories. There's a, a murder or a woman found dead in the docks, a young girl, a schoolgirl found dead in the docks in Melbourne as well. And those left behind in Phryne's most wonderful house are trying to resolve that problem for her. So look, it's a really good read. Anna from the op shop um, found it in the op shop and gave it to me to distract myself when I got home and I loved it. Death Just, in Dalesford. I don't mean a disservice to Kerry Greenwood, who is a former or I suppose she still is actually a solicitor, but um, she has she has uh, um, is, is it an OAM? She has behind her name for services to literature and so on. And did you know that she, her partner she's she's her partner is a wizard? Yes, I do. I've the mathematician it. and author David Gregg. Yep, I do know that. She's a, a, an unusual Mrs. And, Mrs. Wizard. and wonderful woman. I had her on air once on 3AW to talk about, um, oh, the, the drug problems in the western suburbs and she's a staunch defender of places like Footscray and everywhere around the Maribyrnong. She's a fascinating woman. Anyway, I can recommend it. But, Corrie, you reckon I've gone lowbrow. Your screen, I gather. Oh, hands off my screen. Well, go ahead. Caro, that's so mean of you. I know you enjoy this show. And in fact, dare I say your youngest child appeared in this show at one point. So MasterChef is back. And I have a thing about MasterChef, a bit like you mentioned Nathan Buckley before, has been coach for almost as long as I've had the bookshop. I started watching MasterChef Series 1, 2009, when Julie Goodwin won. And that was when I was starting up the bookshop. And my head was so addled with this new venture. Every night I'd sit there with the kids who were living at home then and we'd watch MasterChef. It was the best thing that had ever happened in our lives. Talk about bringing together generations, everybody watching it together. My mum loved it. She would come over and watch it. We all absolutely adored it. I still do. I do have a thing now, though, Carol, I can't engage until we're down to about the last 15. (laughs) And you clearly have. I clearly have. I think Andy Allen, Melissa Leong and Jocks on Thriller are terrific hosts. That show has not missed a beat since the since Matt, George and Gary have left the MasterChef kitchen. Uh, the contenders this year are an amazing group. I have to say 2021 is the year of the curry. So there and and the reason for this is that the MasterChef kitchen or the 15 or 12 who are left now uh, truly represent what Australia looks like in 2021. And the backgrounds of these people are amazing. We have German backgrounds, Taiwanese, Vietnamese, Egyptian, Indian, Sri Lankan, uh, Kishwa, who has a Bengali background. Her curries are so amazing. I just um, I just love the celebration of Australian food. I love the format. And in particular, on Sunday night, uh, as many potties will be nodding their heads going, yes, when Brent Draper who we loved, put up his hand after the challenge or actually before the final challenge and said, I can't go on anymore and was taken to one side by Jock, both of them in tears, and he admitted that he had mental health issues, that he was suffering from anxiety and they ended up he ended up saying farewell to the group. I, I was... I had tears rolling down my cheeks. First of all, his bravery to come out and then and the Instagram post he posted a few hours later where he explained why he had done what he'd done with references to Beyond Blue and Lifeline and so on. I thought it was a fantastic episode and roll on the finale. Caro, you've got to get into it. I can't believe you don't like MasterChef. I don't, look, I don't mind it, but since Clem moved out, I don't really watch it anymore and um, I've got a couple of cracker 
British thrilling thrillers and IRA dramas. I'm sort of going down that road. No, at the well, you should go back into MasterChef at least for the last few weeks. And speaking of curry, now onto food. We have on the line my daughter Francesca Carter, who lives in Ballarat. And Checker, you've cooked a recipe, a curry recipe, that you and I talked about for ages, and you've gone and done it. So I thought you, we're handing it over to you today, darling. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> yes, I've made it curry from. Um the new book, Always Add Lemon, by Danielle Alvarez. Love that book. Yeah, we love that book, and I know that Caro and Clem have done a lot of cooking out of this book too. Yeah, well, I was sort of looking for a curry um, sort of the end of autumn that sort of uh, incorporated sort of all those yummy autumn vegetables, and I sort of came across this one um, called the Fragrant and Sour Fish Curry, and it uses cherry tomatoes and long purple eggplants, which I haven't used before so much in a in sort of a green sort of Thai curry before. Um, and we had heaps of tomatoes in our garden. So we um, I thought I'd give this a try. And it actually, um, what I love about this cookbook is it, is it um, the serving sizes I think are bang on. You know, with most of, like a lot of Odalingi books and other cookbooks, I'm, often it says, you know, serving for four and Charlie and I can easily get through it. But... Um, <laughs> Does that when, say something about you and Charlie being for, gutsers? <laughs> probably. Probably. We do love our food. But when she has said, you know, this serves for, it actually does serve for. Um, and it's just a wonderful curry. I'm not going to go through everything because there are quite a few ingredients. But um, the key to this curry, I think, is that she is very particular in that, first of all, you need a gigantic mortar and pestle. Um, don't even attempt it if you've got a small one. Um, and she's very particular about how you should crush up each ingredient before you add the next, which I sort of haven't done a lot of. A lot of cookbooks I've sort of read, I've just sort of whacked them all in and sort of mortar and pestled them all up. But she actually says, you know, start with the kafki lime leaves, um, you know, then add the lemongrass and the galal galal and the turmeric and add each ingredient as um, as you go along, which I think sort of adds to the whole dish. It's really, really good. And so what, what do I do if I've only got a small mortar and pestle? Do I need to go and buy a bigger one? <laughs> off, off to the Minimax <laughs> sale, Caro. You need to go and buy a, a big one. I actually did this in a small mortar and pestle, and um, I, I, I think I almost got carpal. What's that? That wrist carpal tunnel. tunnel. It was going, <laughs> and it probably went everywhere too. I guess lime. And it went everywhere. I don't and think so you're allowed gave... to. Sorry, but you can't call them kaffir lime leaves anymore. They've got a new oh, name. Um, what yeah, do we call them? Because the word kaffir is politically incorrect. Oh, we'll, we'll investigate that before the end yeah. of the show. Oh, Checker, what's, which seafood did you use? Um, so you can use it's. She recommends barramundi or salmon. I use salmon, um, but you can also use sort of any. I reckon any sort of fattier style white fish would be good. But I use salmon because it just sort of, um, which makes it sort of a reasonably priced dish. Um, and I, when I cooked it, I halved the recipe, so I made the paste, which um, will serve us for two dinners. But I actually halved all the ingredients so that we had it just just Charlie and I just for one night. But I've still got half the curry paste for when I make it again. Oh, that's excellent. Well, uh, hats off to you, mother of three little kids and working part-time and running a kitchen and cooking a curry. That's pretty good. It but, sounds um, delicious, Checker. The words sour and fish and curry all together. Yeah, it's and, different. It's different. And it's got tomatoes and eggplant, which I don't. you don't often get in there. In a Thai curry. So. No, I know about your wonderful vegetable successes. Have, have you grown eggplant yet? Yes, we have. Not, we haven't had as much success as other things, but um, usually our first try with vegetables never works, and it's the second year that we we get good. So I reckon eggplant next year. Watch watch this space. I think we will have mastered it. But this year we had a few good ones. They just weren't very big. They were quite small. Your your, ma- your your magic ingredient this year was garlic. I've never seen so much garlic in my life as I've seen in your garage. Yeah, garlic and chilies. We, I, we, I sadly I had to throw away so many chilies. We couldn't give them away fast enough. We had, I don't know, there would have been over a thousand chilies that we just collected. Which, oh, sadly, we we gave as many as we could away, and then they don't last that long. So, but yeah, we've. We've done well. But, Mum, you mentioned before about the crush of the Queen um, and being in Cornwall. Did you see the, the author of the Book of Sea of 
um, Cian Shaw, the, the Cornwall book you've yeah, been Emily talking Scott, about recently, yeah. she catered Joe Biden and all, um, they were oh. all the Angela Merkel, they were all... They all there. She catered some lunch. I just saw on her Instagram page, and I thought, "Corey, oh, can't, can't believe you didn't know that." Where, Check it. That's big news. I can't bear it when yeah, the kids. I, I can't bear it when the kids have royal gossip, and I don't know it. <laughs> I saw it on her Instagram this morning. She said, "You know, career highlight," and Joe Biden signed her book. Wow. So oh, got a there you go. Well, Biden. I think we might have to dub you the podcast royal insider. <laughs> or maybe I'm just Instagram obsessed. I don't know. So, check. Thanks for that recipe. Uh, Miss Jane, Miss Carol, and myself are going to be hitting the road up to Ballarat, and you can put the curry on, and we'll be there in time for dinner, okay? Perfect. Can't wait. Thank you, Francesca Carter Spear. Thank Cor- you. See you soon. Great to Bye, chat. Dad. Now, Corrie, I-, I knew that I was right about this. We now call it um, macrot, macrot lime, because um, obviously it's a South African plant originally, and kaffir was adopted by white colonists, and it was it's seen as an ethnic slur for black African people. Oh. So a lot of authors, and I noticed... Um, Diggers, which I'm a member of. Um, the Diggers Club, yeah. Yeah, the Diggers Club. They now call it Makrut, M-A-K-R-U-T, lime. It's less well used. It's in South Africa. I think they now call it Thai lime. If you were running the local primary school trivia night, you would definitely be taking notes on that one, Caro. And Corrie, that was BSF for Red Energy, 100% Australian energy. Now, Corrie, I'm grumpy today. I'm grumpy about a lot of things this week. The weather, the storms... Football, the fact that on Sunday night my team got to nearly four goals up and then absolutely botched the last five minutes of the game and now the top four seems out of contention, but I know you don't really care about that. So it is storm-related. You know that wonderful feeling? You're you're on a long walk in the middle of a, you know, finally the the weather sort of quietened down and um, I was down on the coast and having a walk along the beach and, Walking back home, saw this unbelievable, unbelievable pile, stash of pine cones. It was almost as though they were there ready for me to pick up. They were probably somebody's pine cones. No, no, they were blown around. I mean, they were random, but because of the storm and the wind and the everything, and I am terribly sympathetic to people who are still struggling without power, so please don't think I'm being glib. But I reckon another 10 minutes it took me, 15 minutes to get home, get a couple of bags, get in my car and drive back, gone. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. I mean, tell you what, it's a quick in the dead with pine cones, isn't it? It's like the Nautiluses at the moment down on the Mornington Peninsula on the beach. It's, Don't tell anybody about them. Oh, I'm just so jealous. I haven't Don't found one. Don't tell anybody about the Nautiluses. Oh, well, I haven't found one, so I'm... I'm miserable and bitter and I'm making everyone else be bitter too. So to the person who got those pine cones, good luck to you. You were quicker than me. I thought about carrying them in my jacket. There were too many. I should have been quicker. That you're, is you're, like, why... you're like me when I play golf because often you'll see lots of pine cones playing golf and you stick them in your golf bag, not the biggest utensil or, or accessory in the world. Oh, and you think I'll go back after the game and you never do and they're never there and... Oh, dear. Anyway, it's time for six quick quick questions for Red Energy. And, Corrie, I'll kick it off. We both lost power last week. What, for you, was the worst thing about it? Well, I'm sorry to be disrespectful to those who actually are still without power and others like Jane here who had terrible storm damage. I don't mean to make light of it, but, Caro, the worst thing was just not being able to have a cup of tea in the morning. Yes, because at least I've got a gas stove. I was able to physically, manually light it with a match. We're full on electric and, boy, did I suffer. That's all I can say. So my question to you is what was the worst thing about losing power for you? Well, again, a first world problem. (laughs) But all I wanted after a fairly busy day and, you know, there was a big footy story with the Collingwood story and driving to Melbourne in the storm and you babysitting little Queenie, et cetera, et cetera, no hot bath the next day, no hot water. I was salivating. Even I mean, a hot shower would have been nice, but to go without, you know, hot water for about 12 hours is no big deal because it, it, the power did eventually come on again. You know, if we were under the age of 30, we would be saying the fact that we couldn't charge our mobile phone. So it's a real sign of our age that we've gone the cup of tea in the hot bath. That's true, although... Bloody I ha- hell, Jane, we're getting old, I happen I happen to know that you got in the car and went to it for a drive to charge your phone, so I'm not that sympathetic. Corrie, what's your current must-listen-to podcast recommendation? Oh, my gosh, you're going to love this. It's called The Frost Tapes, Caro. 
It's hosted by Wilford Frost, who is the son of David Frost. And after his father died in 2013, he discovered all of this back catalogue of the old shows. David Frost, of course, was terrific in this in the UK, but in the late 60s, he moved to America where he started making these shows. And Wilfred has found a whole lot of the tapes. This is an incredible series. I think there might be eight 40-minute uh, podcasts. And Obviously, there's the Richard Nixon interview. Uh, the one I listened to yesterday, Caro, on the women's movement, late 60s, early 70s, Gloria Steinem, Shirley Chisholm, talking about what it's like to be the first black woman in Congress. Um, it's just, it, there's another one, The Power in the Media, the, a young Roger Ailes, who became Rupert Murdoch's right-hand man at Foxtel, Walter Cronkite as, as a young um tiger, tiger of a journalist. Anyway, it's a great series. It's called The Frost Tapes. Highly, highly recommend on your podcast stream. Now, Caro, what TV event are you most looking forward to in 2021? Well, it started. It started on Sunday night on the ABC, Jack Irish. I love this show. I absolutely love it. And I've been looking forward to it all year. I've been really since about March, April, when they started talking about the new series. We're told it's the last series of the adaptation from the Peter Temple books, the Peter Temple character. All the great characters are back in it. You know, so Aaron, Guy Pearce's whizzed over from Easttown, USA. Yes, exactly. And he's come, he's come back to Melbourne. <laughs> he's a father now. He's got a child with... Um, a very impressive young woman who he doesn't seem... I've only watched the first episode. He doesn't seem to be in a relationship with. Shane Jacobson is back. Aaron Pedersen's is back. Is the old girlfriend there? there yeah, Marta Dusseldorp. Yeah, yeah. She he's just comes into it in the second episode, I gather. This is a wonderful show. It is so beautifully written. The pub, you know, the um, where all the old Fitzroy supporters sit and drink. Sadly, one has died. One's gone into an old people's home where the father of um, the mother of Jack's child seems to work, but the last man standing, John Flouse, is still there and trying to make sense of this gastro pub that it has now become, which is really, <laughs> really depressing. I love Jack Irish. I and, love and it. John Flouse did an interview um, in the in the Age the other day where. It turns out he, in fact, is suffering from Alzheimer's and he thinks this will probably be his last performance oh, because really? he's had to, you know, he found it hard to remember the words, etc. Oh, look, it's, it really wow. is very, it's very, very sad. So, look, it, this is a wonderful so show. So, it's Sunday night's ABC. Sunday night's ABC. Wait, so, you watch MasterChef, Carol, and then you whiz over to the ABC. I'll just whiz over to the ABC, I think, Corrie. Now, who would you have least liked to swap places with last week? The Cape Cod lobster diver Michael Packard, who was swallowed by a humpback whale last Friday while diving and then moments later was spat out. <laughs> Carol, this is an amazing story. Well, he's, he lived he, to tell the tale. Well, his diving friend, um, Josiah, 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 I never know how to pronounce that. Josiah was on the boat and saw the whole thing unfold, saw all these menacing bubbles down below, saw the whale thrashing around, feared the worst. And the whale sort of took off from the boat area. And then all of a sudden he saw his friend Michael Packard whiz up into this into the air, down splash into the ocean. So of course Josiah hot footed in the in the boat to get up to him and pulled his friend onto the boat who said, I was inside. I was inside its mouth. It tried to eat me. And in subsequent interviews, he's actually talked about because he was he was uh, conscious through the whole thing. Wow! That Jonah. All, all of, a, su day all of Jonah. a sudden, he felt himself being sucked into some sort of um, space. He thought it was a shark, and he thought he was going to be eaten alive. And he thought this is it. And he was in his diving suit. And then he it was just all bubbly and weird. He realised he was inside the whale and thought this is the end of me. This is where I die. And he was fully alert. And then all of a sudden, this huge whoosh, and out he came. That would mess with you psychologically, wouldn't it, for a long time? Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I can't, I like, as soon as I read this story, I can't tell you how much I've Googled about it. Can you imagine? He'll, okay. be, he'll be a talk show host for many years to come. And from the sublime to the not-so-ridiculous, Cara, where do you stand on the crisis in Australian swimming? Well, I think it's becoming, and these are quick questions, it's becoming a crisis in world sport, isn't it? We've seen it with the Hockey Roos, and they've gone through a massive independent investigation, independent review. Um, I, I, I applaud 
you know, swimmers for coming forward and putting it putting it out there, putting it on social media, choosing the Australian trials to actually get publicity for what's been going on. Big deal that said swimmers didn't make the team. I think that's just mean-spirited. Obviously, it is the right of a coach to have a go or, or to challenge an athlete who is not fit or is putting on weight. But when you hear about swimmers being forced to weigh themselves in front of the team or some senior team members oh, every, shocking, every single day. That is just over the top. And we need a major correction here. You just question why so few of our great Australian swimming coaches, I think there have been two involved in the national team ever, have been women. And I just wonder whether that is one of the – that clearly needs to be one change that needs to be addressed. Mm, so, well um, said. You're talking about young young children in so many of these situations. So yeah, big issue and um, doesn't look like it's going to go away very quickly. Watch out, swimming coaches, otherwise we'll get those whales onto you. But, Corrie, <laughs> that, <laughs> it's a serious subject, Corrie. That has been the show for this week. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and, of course, the wonderful Prince Wine Store. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered in your inbox every week, hit the Sign Up button on Facebook or in our show notes, or send us an email and the wonderful Miss Jane will subscribe you. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Hello, it's Stavros from O'Brien Real Estate. Want to know what's happening in real estate? Join me on Under the Hammer. Market trends, boom suburbs, and what to do if you're buying or selling. We've got it all on Under the Hammer. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.